Like so many other people, I was so fired up along with my family when we decided to head over to Windward Mall and go watch Avengers Endgame, right? Because for 10 years, we had been so wrapped up in these movies, watching all these different heroes and villains and storylines and plots. And finally, we made our way into the movie theater. And as we made our way into the movie theater, we, we, we did what all of us do, right? We go in there, we get in line. Uh, some of us get our, our tickets on the phone. We show the little blinker across to the usher. We go make a small loan payment for the popcorn and the hot dogs and the ice cream and all that kind of stuff. We found our seats and we were just ready for this big event. Part of the deal that it was such a big event, like any of y'all that are movie fans, the idea is that we were ready for this big climactic story to finish up. And for anybody who's been paying attention to what's going on in the gospel stories of Jesus, Palm Sunday is the end game. It's the final time. It's Jesus is wrapping everything up. He's wrapping his teachings up. He's wrapping his, he, he, the miracles are all leading to this. You know, one of the most amazing things about what Jesus does is Jesus doesn't ever waste time. Everything he does is intentional. Everything he does is, is on purpose. Everything is pointing towards this goal, towards this final end game. And it begins with Palm Sunday. Now, if you grew up going to church, you did the whole flannel board, Sunday school, then you remember maybe Palm Sunday where people would make all these different designs and they would wave these palm branches in the air. If you never went to church, you're like, all I really know about Palm Sunday is that it's this Sunday before uh, all these television shows about Jesus show up and then Easter, it's kind of the one time. It, it, if you're like me, it was kind of the week of maybe spring break before maybe one of the two times you go to church, right? I grew up in a house where, where, where sometimes we'd go to church, sometimes we wouldn't go to church, but we would definitely make Easter. So what is this whole Holy Week? What is this whole Palm Sunday? What is it that we're pointing everything towards? The Bible just really quickly tells this clear story about this group of people who seem to always be behind the curve historically. When everybody else is getting chariots, they're still walking. When everybody else has got swords, they're still using wooden clubs. And so, but somehow these people always end up winning battles and winning victories because God has blessed them. There's no real reason why they're blessed. God just chose them. He gave Israel this special blessing. And yet, in their time, they begin to kind of take it for granted, you know, kind of start looking and start saying, God, I, I, I know you've got my back, but, but, but you know, I'm going to kind of do things on my own. And there's a part of the Old Testament that talks about them going into exile, the Israelites going into exile, going into captivity. This leaving captivity, this coming back in, this entering back into this time where they're blessed by God, where they're blessed in the kingdom— is what Jesus is doing. He's doing so many things. I mean, why is he riding a donkey? Why does he go through this particular gate? Why are they doing the whole branches? What does all this mean? And yet, at the same time, why is it that everybody is so crazy about Jesus and yet seven days later, they're gonna be yelling for him to be killed? Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 12, or turn on in your Bibles if you've got your phone there sitting in the living room with you, uh, to John chapter 12. We're going to just look at verses 12 through 19 today, and my prayer and my desire is hopefully you're going to have something that you're going to latch onto, and you and I are both going to realize that maybe, maybe God's not asking us this week to just be fanboys of Jesus, but to be followers of Jesus. 
And so as we take a look at that, as you turn, let me just kind of kind of fly over what I was talking earlier about Israel. So Israel is this little nation. Uh, they, they, they're, they're given land, uh, they're given people, and then they're given a blessing by God. And they move into this land of Canaan, and, and they end up moving all these other tribes out, some of the tribes they end up living with. I don't really have a lot of time today to talk about this, so I'm just going to kind of fly over. But these tribes come together, and they're united by a king. And the king, when he's crowned king, the first king, Saul, they call him Messiah. He is the anointed king, okay? So if you're taking kind of some notes in the back of your head, you're gonna go, Messiah, I've heard that term before. Well, it means anointed one. All right. So, so Jesus is not the first one biblically who's called Messiah. The, they, they anointed Saul Messiah. Now, the crown gets taken from Saul because he's disobedient to God, and, and David is anointed. And you, if you're familiar with the name David, well, he's kind of this legendary figure in Israelite history. David ends up being the king. He unites the clans, kind of like Braveheart, right? And, and so David has a son, and his son is named Solomon, right? And he's the wise Solomon that you've heard of. He's the, he's the Solomon of legend, the guy who writes Proverbs and all that kind of stuff. And interestingly enough, when Solomon is crowned king, he comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he's crowned the Messiah. Now, from a global historical point, Israel, at the time of Solomon's reign, is probably the, one of the wealthiest, most powerful nations in the world at that time. So it's critical to understand that after Solomon, there ends up being a fight over this global power. And the nation of Israel actually has a civil war and they split into two nations, the north and the south, Israel and Judah. All right? Because a divided house can't stand, other nations start coming in and they end up conquering them. First the Babylonians and then the Assyrians. And so this nation gets torn apart. And as they get torn apart, there are people that are led away from the promised land that God's given them, and they're taken into captivity. And that's where you have all these Old Testament stories about Daniel and Esther and all the different prophets, right? And, and so the nation of Israel, they are longing for this day where they're going to be able to celebrate the king, celebrate a nation, celebrate this time again. Now, what a lot of people really kind of try to put together when they're looking at the Bible is this understanding that, that okay, so there's the Old Testament and then there's the New Testament. And, 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 and there's a lot of amazing things that happen in between these two parts of the Bible, right? There's actually 400 years of history that takes place. When the Old Testament closes off, all of Israel is in captivity. When the New Testament opens up, they're back in and things are rolling, right? There's this new group of people called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's, there's this new empire called Rome. Where did they all come from? Well, in that 400-year period, while Israel's in captivity, the, the nations that come into power, you have the Babylonians who are conquered by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are conquered by the Persians. And there's a Persian character who ends up being this king. And this king has a son, and he names his son Alexander. And he is the Alexander that you've heard of in history. He's Alexander the Great. This Alexander is trained by Greek scholars. And so when Alexander the Great conquers the world, he, of the known world, everybody starts talking Greek because that's what he was taught. So it's the Hellenization of the world. So Greek all of a sudden becomes the language of everybody in the Middle Eastern area. It's the language on the streets. Alexander dies. When he dies, he gives his empire over to three people. These three leaders end up dividing all the spoils, so to speak, and one of the leaders ends up getting to take the area of Israel in the Middle Eastern area. Now, during that time on the Italian peninsula, there's this little tribe that ends up growing into this huge country. 
the country ends up being the nation of Rome and the empire of Rome. And they make their way east and they end up conquering everybody. Now they speak Latin and they're incredible engineers, but they end up adopting the Greek philosophy, the Greek religion, and the Greek culture. So when the New Testament opens up, everybody's speaking Greek, everybody's speaking Latin, Rome is the empire, and they've actually taken over that part of Israel, and they actually went to the early religious leaders and said, look, we're going to let you guys, kind of like on eBay, we're going to let you bid to see who's going to be the religious leader. So no longer is it who's godly. No longer is it who's listening to God or who's obedient to God's word. Now the church is being run by whoever can afford to be the highest bidder to get the power. So it's a corrupt system. Jesus enters into this world. The prophet Isaiah says that he came at the appointed time, and he really did come at the appointed time. Now, Jesus has been doing most of his ministry up in the northern part of the country, kind of in the smaller towns, right? So it'd be like him going to, instead of just heading over to Honolulu and being down at Alamoana Mall and setting up shop, he stays kind of in these smaller towns doing these things, but he's got this huge wave of support. Now, way back in Israel's history, they started their time as a nation by celebrating the deliverance into the Holy Land from slavery. And that holiday is called Passover. Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he's actually entering in on the day that the Israelites are preparing themselves for the next week's Passover meal, which is why we have the Last Supper. That's a Passover meal. That's why Easter is so critical because we are delivered because it's a celebration of how God had delivered his people as well. Jesus is the bridge, so to speak, about what we're looking at with the Old Testament and the New Testament. Hopefully this has given you enough time to find John chapter 12. Let me just jump into the text here because that's the backdrop and the setting to which Jesus is now coming. Verse 12 says this, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. Jesus is, is coming up, so, so, so for those of y'all to have some background, uh, you Bible readers out there, Jesus has already done the whole Zacchaeus thing, he's done the Lazarus raising from the dead, uh, the woman comes in and anoints his feet with oil, and he's moving up to Jerusalem. Lord willing, for those of us that are going on the Israel trip, when we get to Jerusalem, you're going to see that we actually go up a mountain to get to the city of Jerusalem, and that's what Jesus is doing there in verse 12. It says, so the next day he's going up and there is a huge crowd moving with him. And the crowd, this is verse 13, take palm branches and they went out to meet him saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord and blessed is the king of Israel. Now Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified, Did they realize these things that had been written about him and these things that had been done to him? Verse 17 says, Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. Verse 19 says, So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this thing is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. And this is the reading of God's word. And this is the part that I really want us to kind of focus in on because this is what we're celebrating here on Palm Sunday. What are the people looking for? Well, like I'd said, the people had been longing for a king, somebody to unify the nation. Israel had not had any king since the time, a king who would listen to God, really in a unified nation since the time of Solomon. 
They had kings after Solomon, but it was kings in a divided nation. So they were looking for a unified nation led by God's man. And they had heard about this Jesus. And, and, and it wasn't the religious leaders that liked him. The religious leaders were actually threatened by him. It was the common man. It was the common woman. It was the person working Monday through Friday, wondering, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to do all this kind of stuff? These were the people who were looking for Jesus. But they were looking not for a carpenter's son. They were looking for a guy like David, a guy like Solomon, a king, a king who would come in, a king who would be a ruler. And the interesting thing is, what they end up looking for is somebody who was contextually, in their opinion, somebody who'd look kind of like Maximus from Gladiator, like a guy riding in on a war horse, a guy riding in with armor, a champion who was going to defeat Rome, overthrow the government, and end up setting Israel once again as the power that they had dreamt of. What's interesting is, instead of a warrior on a war horse, they got a carpenter on a donkey. But you need to understand that what Jesus is doing is he's actually fulfilling a testament and a prophecy given in the book of Zechariah 9, where it said, you will come riding in on a donkey, on a donkey's colt. Now, I want you to understand real quick, this next week, for you as a student of, of any kind of ways of God, you need to understand this week is a huge deal. I know your week has been chaotic. I know there's been a lot of stuff in the news. Look, everybody's, in, in my world, people are either talking about Corona or they're talking about the Tiger King, right? So these are the big things on the market, right? But what I want you to understand is this next week for Jesus is so big that it actually takes up the next nine chapters in John. There's only 21 chapters in John, and nine of these chapters are about the final week. In fact, two-fifths of the Gospel of Matthew are about this final week. Three-fifths of the Gospel of Mark are about the final week, and one-third of the Gospel of Luke, the autobiographical story of Jesus, is about these next seven days. So what this is kicking off is a huge deal. Jesus comes in riding on a donkey, filling filling prophecy in an incredible way when everybody was expecting a war horse. Now, what's interesting is because they were expecting this victor king to show up is that they end up showing their palm branches. What did the palm branches mean? The palm branch of a fig tree was the national symbol of Israel. So what they were doing is they were actually waving a national symbol saying, Jesus is about to take over. He's about to take over Rome. He's about to take over everything. He's about to be the king. So come in. And what did they say? The word Hosanna, which means what? Save us now. Now, they weren't saying save us the way like Christians would say save us. Like, Lord, save me. Give me a place in heaven. They were saying it from a political standpoint. Save us from Rome. Save us from oppression. Save us from poverty. Save us for this. They were looking for a political leader. Another thing that's interesting about this is that this wasn't the first time Jesus had come to Jerusalem. He had come a couple of other times, and, and, but when he came, he came through the south gate, actually, what's called the sheep gate. It was a very regular gate. On this day, Palm Sunday, Jesus doesn't come in on the south gate. He comes in on the eastern gate. Now, that fulfills another prophecy showing that a king would come in through that victorious gate. Now, Jesus doesn't do that by mistake. Please, please understand this. Jesus doesn't do anything by mistake. Somebody didn't go, hey, Jesus, you're going through the wrong gate. And he was like, hey, sorry, I wasn't paying attention. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. It's just his agenda was different than the Israelites' agenda. And that's a critical thing to remember. 
So the people are crying out for a military victory. They're waving the national symbol around. He's coming through the eastern gate and they're saying Hosanna. And what they end up getting is a donkey, a guy on a donkey coming in, talking about a victory, but of a different kind, a better victory. There are so many things that's happening in this text, and I would love to go through the entire week. In fact, this next week, why don't you click on the link that's down below and just take a look because there's a couple of resources out there of different Bible scholars from several different seminaries who are gonna walk us through little three-minute videos about what Jesus does throughout this week as he's setting things up for Resurrection Sunday, the, the, the holiday that we call Easter, okay? And I don't have time to get into all that, but I would, I would love for you to research that. Books have been written, celebrations have made, texts have been done. Uh, uh, you know, Pastor Carl kind of alluded to this. I've spent most of my academic career like studying just these 400 years. And there's just, I have libraries. Unfortunately for my wife, I have books and books and books and books. And there's just so much about it. But you may be sitting in your living room today going, well, so what? All right, so a lot of fascinating facts, a lot of things I didn't know about the donkey, about Solomon, about Israel, about the palm branches, about what did it mean that he even came through that gate? What does the word Hosanna mean? But what does that really mean for me? So there's, there's just three things I wanna point out here. What does it mean? Go back to John chapter 12. The things I want you to catch is this. Jesus is better than religion. Look back at verse 12, all right? It says, the next day the great crowd had come for the festival. What was the festival? Remember, preparing for Passover, so it was a religious event, and Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took the palm branches, and they went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. People were practicing religion, and yet Jesus was here to bring about other things. Listen, look, I'm just a member here at Anchor, like you are, but I want you to understand this. If you're just involved with the religion of what we do, you're going to miss it. Because religion says you need to work this. But what Jesus does is he says, I worked this for you. Jesus is better than religion, first off. The second thing I want you to understand, scripture is better than opinion. Every time, scripture is better than opinion. Look at the next several verses, starting in verse 14. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a colt. And at first, the disciples didn't understand all this. Why didn't they understand all this? Why did the people not understand all this? Because in their opinion, he should have been dressed up like some mighty warrior coming in on a war horse. That was their opinion. But Jesus wasn't just about redeeming Israel. He's about redeeming the whole world. You know, much like Endgame, this is a universal galactic event happening. It's not just about one town. It's not just about you. It's not just about your family. It's not just about Anchor Church. Jesus came to save everybody. Jesus is better than religion. Scripture is better than our opinion. And then thirdly, we need to understand that following is better than fandom. Look at verse 16. At first, the disciples don't understand this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize these things that had been written about him and the things that had been done. And then there was the crowd that heard about Lazarus when he was raised from the dead. And many people had heard about all the miracles and went out to meet him. And then the Pharisees say, look, the whole world has gone after him. There's four different groups of people right here looking at this. And I want to just look at this. There's the disciples who don't understand, but still follow him. Some of them will follow him all the way to the cross. We're reading out of the Gospel of John, even though all four of the Gospels talk about him. All four of the Gospels interviewed, if not written by disciples themselves, 
were interviewing the disciples, all right? Luke's not a disciple, but he interviewed disciples. Matthew, a disciple. Mark, a lot of people historically think that's Peter's description of what was going on. John, the disciple who goes with Jesus to the cross. The disciples, they're not just fans. They're with him in the cold, in the rain, in all the different types of circumstances, all the way to the cross. Then there's the people who saw Lazarus. That's the next verse. These are the people who have seen Jesus do great things. Maybe even knew Lazarus. Heard a great testimony, right? And so they're willing to see what else he's going to do. And then there's the people that are in the crowd. That's the next verse. The, 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 the people who were in the throngs of the witnesses, right? Maybe these are some of the people that were part of even seeing Jesus do a miracle. Or maybe they even ate some of the fish that had been part of the multitudes that were being fed. Or they heard the Sermon on the Mount, right? And then there's the Pharisees, the people who were threatened because Jesus didn't quite fit their agenda. He didn't quite fit their understanding. He was blowing apart their worldview. The reason why I bring up these things is that there's a lot of us who are fans of stuff, right? We hear Pastor Rob talk about being a Dodger fan, right? Or, or even Pastor Tom talking about being a Liverpool fan or a soccer fan in that regard. You know, there's a difference between being a fan and being a follower. Fans, we love stuff, and then when the team falls apart, we're like, man, I'm out of here, all right? And so, and, so, and so a follower is different, though. A follower, whether it's a winning season or a losing season, they're in it for the long haul, right? If there's one thing I want you to really capture, it's this. I think, I think the world has seen enough fans of Jesus. It's time for us to see followers of Jesus. And so what we got to understand is this. Jesus, he's better than religion. Fans go to religion. Followers go to Jesus. Fans go to their opinion. Followers look at scripture. And then fans end up saying, I'll be with you even to the end when it takes you to the cross. Even when your agenda, God, is different than my agenda for you. Before I close out, I'm just going to leave you with this. I believe the people that were here with their palm branches are the same people that are saying, crucify him on Friday. And one of the reasons why is because they thought he was going to come in and start a civil war inside of Israel to relieve them from Rome's oppression. And when Jesus talked about something different, you see their agenda got messed up. And they said, he's not who they thought they were. And they were yelling to crucify him. Where are you at this morning? Are you somebody who is sitting there saying, look, I'm going to follow you, Jesus, but I want you to look like this for me. I want you to do this. I want, I want the right girl. I want the right guy. I want the right job. I want, I want, I want to get out of the house. I, I, I want to get this raise. I want to get this car. I want to get this boat. I want to do this. Jesus, give me these things. And then what we end up doing is we make Jesus like the Easter Bunny or like Santa Claus. He's not going to do that. He's not going to fit our mold. He didn't fit their mold. He'll break all that. You see, when we say to God, God, I'm going to worship you if you do this, we actually are committing an error and a sin against the first commandment. We are creating God in our image. When God is saying, I'm going to create you in my image. So maybe the most dangerous, powerful prayer you'll ever do while you're here at Anchor is the prayer that says, Lord, I'm giving you control and I'm letting you be the one who takes over my life and you be the one that molds me and shapes me. Look, maybe you've never even prayed before. And if you've never even prayed before, you may go, I don't even know how to get into a relationship with Christ and let him start working in me. And I'll, and I'll tell you what, this, look, this is, just, this is just normal, regular talk. When my wife, Danielle, and I were leading our kids to the Lord, we, we went around three simple things. We used the words, I'm sorry, and thank you, and please. 
I'm sorry for what? Well, I'm sorry that I've been doing things my own way. God, would you please forgive me and, and, and would you cover my sin with your sacrifice? And we're gonna talk about that sacrifice next week in the celebration of that. So Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. Please forgive me of my rebellion. Thank you that you died on the cross, right? And would you come into my heart and would you be my king? Listen, they were looking for a king. You're looking for a king. I'm looking for a king. Let's just make sure it's the right king. Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you, would you please forgive me? And thank you for coming to my life and be my king. Would you even pray with me right now? And as you pray, let me just step out and say, God, we're sorry that we do our own things, that we rebel against you. Would you please forgive us? And I thank you that you died on the cross to pay for those sins in rebellion. And I thank you that you're willing to come in and enter into my heart, enter into my temple, my mind, and be my ruler and be my king. Lord, as we begin this new week, this holy week, this pointing towards Easter, may it be a resurrection not only of, of your story, but may it be a resurrection of our new self, our better self, because you're better than religion. Your word is better than my opinion, and I don't want to just be a fan. I want to be a follower. In your name I pray, amen.